When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Well, hello again, my friend. Fancy meeting you here. This is like our little Christmas New Year's Eve party right here on the Stream Police Podcast, our final episode of the year 2018. We've been bringing you this show for a few years now, and here's to a few more to come uh, here on the show. I'm Clint Davis, the movies and TV guy here on the Stream Police, and we'll be talking with our music man, Andy Sedlak, in just a little bit. We'll see what he's got as this year winds down can you believe it i mean i feel like we say that you know you say that every year it's like can you believe the year's almost over can you believe it's already christmas time again can you believe it's already new year's eve again uh and you know i understand why people say that because it feels like the years just zoom on by but you know i gotta say i have to admit this year i'm kind of glad that it's it's winding down because this has been the wildest year of my life i know it's been probably one of the wildest years, at least, of Andy's life. I know he's had tons of stuff going on uh, in his life this year. And I think both of us are probably hoping that things maybe slow down a little bit in 2019 so we can take a breath and just uh, enjoy the things that we really enjoy. I have not been able to, uh, Beth and I have not been able to go to the movies, um, you know, since our son was born really much at all. We've gone a couple times Um but we haven't been, you know, nearly like this time of year. This is the time of year where Beth and I go to the movies every weekend, typically. And we usually see multiple movies every single weekend. It's a tradition of ours going back, you know, since we kind of first got to know each other, uh, you know, like eight years ago. So it's it's sad that this year we really won't be able to do that nearly as much. And I probably will not give you the extensive coverage of all the Oscar-nominated movies like I'm usually able to. Because usually I've seen every one of them by the time the Oscars air. Uh, but we'll see. I'm still going to do my best. I'm going to try to be looking for a lot more of them at home to watch. I've still been watching a ton of movies at home. I'm still hitting the library up all the time. And I'll be telling you uh, in just a little bit about a couple of the classic Christmas movies that I neglected to see until finally this year I got around to them. And uh, I'll give you my thoughts on some of those great ones like uh, It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street. And also another hidden Christmas classic gem that uh, I finally watched and really loved. And would add it in, you know, with my absolute favorite holiday movies this year. So, like I said, I'm hoping things slow down a little bit in 2019. I do have to say um, that I got an interesting gift since the last time we spoke. Beth uh, and I celebrated our anniversary um, on December 1st. And 
we and I've been sick a little bit lately, so that's why this one's this show's coming at you a, a couple of days maybe after when I would normally put it out. I try to get the show out usually the first weekend of the month, uh, but the first weekend of December I was I had no voice, I couldn't breathe, so I couldn't sit in here in the closet and bring you uh, my portion of the show. But uh, I'm back with you now, and I got to tell you, for our anniversary, she bought me an Oculus Go, and it's the first virtual reality you know device that i've ever owned it's the first one that i've really ever used inside a home the only ones i had ever used before would be like you know at a an amusement park or something like that it was some kind of crazy you know ride or or some kind of a thing at a at a museum a few years ago at the national uh, underground railroad museum in cincinnati we did a vr thing where it put you in the position of rosa parks and that was intense man um and, you know, that's one of the only VR thing, things I had ever done. So I got this. So she got me this Oculus Go. They're really affordable. Usually, like, all the VR things were just too expensive. That's why I never sprung for one. But these are less than $200. And it's, you know, pretty high end. It's all contained right in there. You don't need headphones. The, the sound comes through it, and it, it sounds really cool. And you can watch all kinds of things on it, movies, obviously, and um, and concerts and sporting events right from the front row and all that kind of stuff. And you can play games and there's tons of stuff to do on there. I'm just kind of cracking the surface, but I have to say my initial thoughts on it. I love the concept, the, the idea of watching TV and watching movies in basically a theater size screen. That's just around your head where no light can get in, where there's no glare, where the sound is right in your ears, where conversation is not going to get in the way where you're completely immersed. I think that is truly the best way that we can ever hope to watch movies and to watch television. Um, you know, TV's a little bit more social. Usually you, you kind of sit there with somebody and you talk about it while you're watching it maybe. So, but it's cool on this. If somebody else has an Oculus Go, you can talk to them. You can be watching it together and you can look over and there's their little avatar and you guys can talk about what you're watching. So it's cool. There's a lot of possibilities I think here, but I really do think that this is the ultimate way to kind of watch a movie like the, the it doesn't get any better than this. It, it can be better than the theater as long as, you know, it's not choppy, as long as the video quality is great, as long as the sound is good. I, I don't see it being better than that because you just can't get more immersed than having the screen right there, um, you know, all around you as you're as you're looking up at it. So it's pretty cool. Um, the movies and TV that I've seen in it, I haven't watched a lot yet. I haven't watched a full movie yet. They look great, though. I, the battery life is a little weak, so watching long movies might be tough in it. I can't imagine, you know, sitting through like The Godfather Part Two in one sitting without it dying. But then again, you know, wearing a VR headset for three and a half hours straight may not be the best idea anyway. So maybe they're kind of watching out for us by not making the battery as strong as it could possibly be yet. So I'll uh, tell you, you know, my thoughts on, on watching things through the Oculus Go as as I go. And if you have been have watched any movies in VR and you have uh, some recommendations as to some great experiences in VR, let me know. Drop me a line, as always, at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E-Clintdavis at gmail.com. All right, let me go ahead and light my stogie up. I'm sitting in my closet in uh, the outskirts of Columbus, Ohio, and I'm bringing you my thoughts on movies and television here on the show, as I always do. I'm going to warm myself up with a the nice stogie here. All right. Now we're rolling, my friend. All right, so as I always do, I like to give you, at the beginning of my part of the show, the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And let's get right into it. For this week's, uh, or this month's edition, I guess. I'm still going to keep saying this week, even though it's, we're a monthly show. Um, so, 
For this week's entry, you wouldn't think that a documentary series, especially one that investigates a potential serial murderer, would have like a great theme song, right? You just wouldn't think that would be the kind of show, like a docu-series you wouldn't think would have would be known for its theme song, because they're just not. Usually they have some kind of little musical flourish, and that's kind of the end of the theme song when you're talking about a docu-series, because they're, they're very serious, obviously. But you would be wrong, my friend, because our latest entry into the canon of greatest TV show theme songs of all time comes from HBO and the network's stunning 2015 true crime series, The Jinx. The song is called Fresh Blood, and it's by a band called Eels. The song comes from the point of view of a werewolf on the hunt for a kill, and it's got this great, like, gritty, beat-up sound with the distorted vocals and all that kind of stuff that makes it perfect for a show about real murders. The Jinx was a 2015 true crime docuseries that looked into the life of Robert Durst, the heir of a uh, New York real estate fortune, and just kind of a strange guy. And the show was about the weird circumstances regarding the deaths and disappearances of various people that he had been close to in his life. The show was an award-winning hit for HBO, and at the start of all six episodes of The Jinx, viewers were greeted with this evocative tune. I know you probably I was instantly like pulled into this song the first time I watched the Jinx, and I, I should say really the second time I watched the Jinx. First time, I was just kind of getting settled into the show. You know, I didn't pay that much attention to the theme song. But the second time, I was like, oh yeah, no, you know, I like this because at first I thought it was kind of weird that a, a docu series about such serious subject matter would have like a, 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 a kind of like a rock song opening it up. You know, that's something more you would see with like a drama uh, or like some gritty crime, you know, thriller fiction show, but. I got to say it worked after time and the visuals that are paired up with this really make it work even better. If you, you haven't seen it, check out the opening to the Jinx on YouTube. You'll see what I mean. Fresh Blood as a song must have really struck a chord with TV producers because it's been used in a bunch of shows since the song came out in 2009. FX's Rescue Me used it in an episode. HBO's True Blood used it in an episode as well. And Fresh Blood has also been used as the theme song for Amazon's Sneaky Pete since that show came out in 2015. That show came out just a few months after the Jinx. So that same year, it was used as a theme song for two pretty high-profile shows on high-profile networks. So if you've watched a lot of TV in the past few years, you've probably heard this song somewhere. <laughs> In 2018, Eels actually did a sequel to the song uh, called Bone Dry, but we'll see if it has the kind of legs that this one has. I seem to doubt it. You know, that's usually the case with sequels, even with songs. Fresh Blood by Eels from HBO's The Jinx is my pick. 
for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. That's our 35th entry into the canon. And I have to say, uh, that song, Fresh Blood, really reminds me of something that like Andy would have played on his uh, college radio show back in the day. That was where, where Sedlak and I met. We met uh, at Wright State. We both hosted shows on the college radio station. We we happened to host shows that were right after each other, and we you know would would chat sometimes you know as I was coming in and as he was leaving, and then we you know kind of got to know each other a little better and realized we had a lot in common. We kind of liked some of the same things, and we were both huge nerds and you know liked to debate our, our takes on on. Uh, you know, on movies and on music and on on uh, television, especially music. We always talked about music a lot. So, but this song sounds like something that would have been on his show, the Stage Door Radio Hour or the Backdoor Radio Hour, which one, whichever one you like better. Speaking of the Jinx, I did want to talk about it because I finally watched that show. I had not seen the Jinx uh, ever. I missed it when it came out in 2015. I read all the you know news stories about it, so I kind of felt like I didn't really need to watch it you know i mean I, i'm gonna i've never watched making a murderer on netflix never seen it for all the netflix shows i've watched for all the true crime i'm a i've watched tons of true crime stuff and you know i've seen like all the classic true crime documentaries but i've never seen making a murderer and i think it's because you know i worked in in you know hard news for so long i worked in breaking news and kind of wrote about crime a lot um I don't do that anymore, but I did for several years, and it was during the time that Making a Murderer and the Jinx was out. So I I just kind of read about what happened with these cases, and I didn't really want to get into a documentary, especially a documentary series, about both of these cases, no matter how interesting they were. But I'm so glad that I went back and watched the Jinx, and I, you know, I think I do need to give Making a Murderer a chance finally here. But uh, So I, I just watched it like a month ago. Season one, I think it's going to be probably the only season of The Jinx on HBO, but it's six episodes. They aired in 2015, and this show really is a stunner, man. I got to tell you, um, whenever documentary filmmakers go out to make it, especially a true crime film, but really any documentary, you know, documentaries are all about kind of uncovering truths, spreading knowledge, you know, to things that we may not know about, things we think we know about, but we don't really know the full story. And documentaries try to expose the real truth about whatever's going on in the subject that they're tackling. That's what the good ones do anyway. So on true crime documentaries, usually they're not investigating. You're not going to watch a true crime show about a crime that's like a cut and dry. Yeah, a guy murdered somebody and he did it and there's DNA evidence and he says he did it and he's in prison now. Like that's not going to be a, they're not going to do a documentary on that. What they're doing usually are crimes that there are some questions about that investigative methods were, you know, were questionable when when the arrests were made. Uh, The person that's been convicted is maintaining their innocence years later and there are new facts opening up. And, you know, that those are the kind of cases that usually get the true crime documentary uh, uh, treatment. And it's worked in, you know, in tons of uh, Tons of stories over the years, whether it be in the Thin Blue Line, which is kind of the granddaddy of them all, and you know, kind of laid the blueprint for all of these kinds of movies, or whether it was you know, Murder on a Sunday Morning or Paradise Lost. Um, there's there's so many of them that have been made over the years. But the Jinx, what happened was these guys caught the unicorn. 
So what you're hoping when you do one of these movies is you're hoping to get something that, like, blows the case open. Like, you're going to be the one that does what the police couldn't do. You're going to find the smoking gun, and you're going to present it in your film. Like, that's what happened in The Thin Blue Line, where the stunning, the end of the movie, the guy who wasn't put away for the crime admits that he's the one who actually did it, and it springs a man from death row because this film got made. That's the kind of thing that it doesn't happen often, but when it does, it is so breathtaking that this could happen on camera, and that's what happened with The Jinx. So if you don't know anything about this show, The Jinx, as I said in the in the segment about the greatest TV show theme song, it's a six-episode mini-series documentary about this guy named Robert Durst. And Robert Durst is somebody that I had never heard of. New York New Yorkers may have heard of him, may have heard of his family, but not the kind of like mainstream name. Basically, you know, his family was one of those wealthy uh, New York real estate families. Like there were like a handful of families that basically own all of New York. And the Dursts were one of them um, and are one of them. And they're, I mean, massively rich because of these buildings that they own in downtown New York. And Robert Durst was kind of like the black sheep of the family. Um, But he was supposed to be, you know, the heir to the fortune. But he was just kind of like a fuck up. And he was just a really weird guy, just really strange Um, compared to like his brother, who ends up kind of going on to run the family company while Robert just kind of sits around and spins his wheels. And is just a strange guy, just a weird guy. And you'll see that in the movie. And the movie's really about Robert Durst. But there are all these crazy things that have happened surrounding Robert Durst in his life that you just can't believe that the movie kind of peels the onion back on. And the way that the show happened was uh, there was a movie made. So so Robert Durst in the 70s, his first wife, uh, she disappeared one day. They had supposedly had like... Um, you know, it was it was kind of like an up and down relationship. wasn't always great, wasn't always bad, but she disappeared one day. And Robert Durst maintained that she ran off and was never heard from again. So no one ever heard from her. She was very close to her family before that, but she didn't tell anyone. She just disappeared, and no one still has heard from her. Nobody has been found. So her, she's just like a missing persons case. And Durst was never arrested because there just wasn't any evidence really linking him to her disappearance. So anyway, a movie was made in the 2000s about that case. It was uh, The movie was called All Good Things, and it came out in 2010, and it starred uh, Ryan Gosling as, as Robert Durst, and it starred Kirsten Dunst as you know his wife. So they actually made a movie about this. So the guy who directed um, All Good Things, he made the movie, and he kind of hoped that Robert Durst would reach out to him, and Durst did. Durst was like this really... Um, reclusive guy, didn't do interviews ever. People were always kind of wanting to talk to him about what happened to his wife, and he never would really do it, and he was just a reclusive, rich guy, you know, the kind of the classic weirdo. So, but he reaches out to the director after he saw all good things. He kind of, he liked the movie, liked the way it was treated, and he wanted to know if this guy wanted to do a long interview with him on video. And the guy's like, well, I mean, he's not even a documentary filmmaker, but of course he's a filmmaker, he's curious, he made a movie about this guy's you know, an important moment in this guy's life. So, of course, he's interested. So the director decides to do it, and then the jinx comes from that. And the, this this show took years to make and a lot of digging. But they go through all these crazy things. So his wife disappeared. His best friend, who was a woman, mysteriously was murdered like 20 years after his wife disappeared. And then Durst's neighbor, um, when he had moved to Texas, 
was also murdered, dismembered, chopped up into pieces, thrown into the water. And like nothing, Durst was like Teflon, man. Nothing stuck to him. Nobody could, they couldn't find any evidence. And I mean, apparently this guy had allegedly gotten away with three murders. People thought that anyway. And so the the Jinx kind of looks into it. They try to find new evidence. They try to, they even get close to Durst. And the filmmakers kind of start to like him a little bit. So it's got this interesting dynamic of, did he do it? Is he just the most unlucky person? That's why the show is called The Jinx, because he he feels, Robert Durst says he feels like he is a Jinx to people that he gets to know and love because they die, they disappear, strange things happen to people who get close to him. So is it his fault or is it, you know, something else? And the final minutes of the Jinx are so stunning as far as what the filmmakers are able to get. They finally find a piece of evidence and confront Durst with it and his reaction. I don't want to, you know, blow it because it's just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen captured you know, in a film, it's like it's too like you couldn't, you know, if you made it up, you would think that it was it was too far fetched. So but it, this really happened. So the Jinx is just a crazy piece of entertainment. And it is very entertaining. The interviews they do are really good. They get interviews with people on all sides, including Durst. So it's got really a, a lot more access than most of these kind of shows typically get. Uh, it's not just telling one side of the story. It tells them all. And it covers so many years. And, you know, it doesn't just cover the murders and the disappearances. It covers kind of his psyche, his life, his childhood. What could possibly make a man do these things if he, in fact, did these things? So it's just amazing stuff. Uh, I was blown away by it. I was sad that I missed it when it first came out. Um, And I'm glad that I finally did give the Jinx a watch. Six episodes on HBO in the first season of this. And I got to tell you, a very fast watch. I ripped through the Jinx in two days and I could not stop watching. If I didn't have a baby that I took care of every day, I probably would have watched this show in a single day. It's a little like less than six hours. It floats around more about like five hours when you get the total length of it all together. So it's an easy watch in a single day if you got the time. And it's wintertime, so why not? But if you spread it out over a week, I mean, you're talking about an hour a night. And you will you will love it. You'll, you'll really like the show. If you like true crime at all, if you like stories about just weird people... Um, and character studies, then the Jinx is 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 right up there. I really enjoyed it. It was it's a great another great piece of entertainment from HBO, and it didn't go under the radar. I mean, I didn't miss it because no one was talking about it. It got a lot of buzz. It won, um, I believe, an Emmy for the documentary uh, series award for HBO. It it was it was hailed and it was you know a, an important piece of entertainment. I'm not sure if it won a Peabody, but it probably should have if it didn't. And it's just really cool, and it's got that great theme song. So there's just a, a lot of things to like about the Jinx. It's just uh, uh, I don't think we'll ever really see a documentary like it again with what they uncover. These guys captured the unicorn, man. You just don't get that. You don't get that. In your wildest dreams as a filmmaker, you think that you, you're going to get something like that, but they got it. They got the unicorn. So it's it's amazing. So give the Jinx a watch. If you have HBO Go, HBO Now, it's on there. All six episodes, you'll love it. I'm telling you, if you like true crime at all, you'll dig this show. I didn't meet him right away. I heard about him, that he was courting her, and she was, you know, very swept off her feet is the way I like to describe it. You know, he just came on like Prince Charming, um, and she was basically Cinderella. She thought I was good-looking in my little way, cute or whatever it was. And she was very outgoing and social and got along with people real good. So it was perfect. 
because I don't get along with people. Most people don't get along with me. If you had him sitting here, what would you say to him? What could you do with it? Because he's the, the key is with him. Where is she, Bob? What did you do with it? Real quick, another true crime one that's worth uh, worth your time if you haven't watched it yet. I re- went back and rewatched The Staircase, which I had not seen in years. I watched The Staircase for the first time, I think, in about 2005. This was when I was a serious nerd. Um, when I was in high school, I would go to the library and, like, rent, you know, movies from the library, like I like movies that you couldn't find at the video store, and watch them, and especially documentaries. I got really into watching documentaries when I was a teenager. And so I think, like, in 2005, The Staircase had come out in 2004. I had heard amazing things about this. It was like a must-watch thing that you had to see. And it really, I had never seen anything like it. Uh, when I caught this, and really it was because there had never been anything made like it ever. So The Staircase originally was this eight-episode, you know, eight-hour-long documentary series that looked into the murder trial of Michael Peterson, who was this author who wrote, like, these, you know, crime novels. And in 2003, he was put on trial for the death of his wife, who died in 2001. She was found dead at the bottom of the staircase in their home. They supposedly had this great marriage. Everyone said they had a perfect marriage. She was found dead in a bloody mess at the bottom of the stairs. He said she must have fallen down the stairs. He found her body. He didn't know what happened. And the uh, state put him on trial for murder and said that he beat her to death, even though there was all kinds of questions about the evidence, You know, all kinds of things that showed that he probably didn't beat her to death because there's no way he could have based on the forensic evidence. So tons of questions around this case. Anyway, eight episodes of it came out in 2004. Then, in, and I don't want to reveal what happened in it, but in 2010, I think, the filmmaker, this French filmmaker, went back again and did uh, two new episodes of the show. So then it was up to 10 episodes. Then in 2018, more new developments happened, and he went back and did three new episodes for Netflix. Netflix bought The Staircase, and it now is considered a Netflix original, even though it wasn't a Netflix original at first. Just the last three episodes are Netflix originals. So there's 13 total episodes of The Staircase. It was made from the course of 2003, really 2002, up until 2018. So we're talking about a 16-year process that really took over the lives of the filmmaker, the attorneys involved in the case, you know, the man himself, it came to kind of define their lives. So this is a really impressive piece of work. But the thing about The Staircase, unlike The Jinx, The Staircase is like total opposite. It will only leave you with more questions than definitive answers. And that's really the truth of how, you know, a criminal proceeding goes a lot of times. When there are questions in the air, you're not going to feel satisfied and you don't when you watch The Staircase, and you're not supposed to feel satisfied. You're supposed to debate with whoever you're watching it with, did he do it, did he not do it? And either way, you'll have some evidence to back you up. So it's 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 a very conflicting show. It'll make you wonder, do you like this guy? Do you think he did it? Do you believe him? Do you not believe him? And But the difference, again, another difference between The Staircase and The Jinx is that The Staircase is all one-sided. Like, the prosecution did not want to cooperate with the filmmakers at all, and they didn't. So all you see is the defense. You only see the defense, so it's very pro-Peterson, but not to the point where it's like blindness. But it gets so deep into his... The, the preparation of the defense for the case. So if you're at all interested in criminal law, especially defense law, 
and why criminal defense attorneys who usually are played as sleaze bags, like on TV and in you know police shows and stuff like that, which it's just not fair. It's not the truth. You'll see in this movie why criminal defense attorneys are so important and why if you were on trial for your life, you want to get somebody who's good. And that's why people spend so much money on attorneys like this, hundreds of thousands of dollars when their life is on the line, and why it ends up being worth it because these people do the things that you've got to do when you're trying to free somebody from jail if if uh, you know there's not enough evidence to say that they, they did it. Um, so it's it's a really eye-opening show. It, it gets really deep into the process of defending somebody in a murder trial, how much work goes into that. It'll show you just how tough a job being an attorney is and how tough it is to be on trial. You know, even if there's a chance you didn't do it. You know, for people who did it, then whatever. But it's still, it's a stressful process. The amount of mud that they drag you through, the character assassination stuff, it's brutal. So if you didn't do a crime and you're on trial, I mean, that's... Almost as good as being in prison already because you're, all your personal life is out there for everyone to see. Everyone's judging you, even if they act like they're not. They're judging you behind their back, behind your back. And in the end, you could go away for life or be killed. So it's a scary thing, man. And this and the staircase really shows you what goes into a big criminal proceeding, a months-long criminal proceeding like uh, this Michael Peterson case uh, was. So check out the staircase. It is such an impressive piece of work that took up 16 years of the lives of the the filmmakers behind it. They showed incredible dedication in making this movie, and it's so complete in telling that story. Uh, that's what I really appreciate about about The Staircase. It's just an impressive, staggering piece of work. So 13 episodes, again, that's a pretty fast watch. You'll want to rip through it really pretty quickly. Um, and there just hasn't really been another movie, I don't think, as extensive as The Staircase in looking into a single case uh, those first eight episodes, man, it gets deep, and there are a lot of twists and turns going on in this case. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's really a, a good watch. It, it, the new the three new episodes got high praise from critics, and they're worth a watch too. It's the whole thing is is great. It's it's a good watch, and it's uh, one of the better Netflix originals out there, especially in their uh, documentary scene, which is one of the things they've always prided themselves on. So give yourself a, a look at the staircase. Uh, on Netflix if you're into true crime as well. But do not expect to be as satisfied by it as you are by something like the Jinx or the Thin Blue Line because it's not going to happen. It's just you're going to have some burning questions, and that's kind of the way it is. But it's kind of a really it's a really cool look at attorneys, what attorneys do, and what goes into trying a case like that. It's called The Staircase. It's on Netflix. I think it's important for me to uh, uh, make the jury understand that this is not about whether we've proven Michael is innocent. Uh, it's not even about whether Michael is innocent. Uh, you know, in, in uh, Scotland, uh, they have a verdict that's either guilty or not proven. Uh, and here we say guilty or not guilty. Well, not guilty is not the same as innocent. And not guilty is really the equivalent of not proven, uh, not proven beyond a reasonable doubt. If I spend too much time arguing that he's innocent, I, in essence, I relieve the state of its burden of proof. I invite the jury to weigh, well, is Rudolph right or is Harden right? Uh, well, that's giving up a tremendous legal advantage that all defendants have and should have. You know, what we've basically built into our system is the notion that we want to have guilt proven beyond a reasonable doubt to avoid innocent people 
going to prison. It's not perfect, but that's the, that's the goal. I love when I can come on this show and tell you pretty much jo- only about things that I really enjoyed watching. I watched a lot of good stuff in the last month. And, you know, I've watched a couple of crappy things, too, and usually I just don't get to them because I don't want to spend this show. I don't want to waste your time bitching about things that really aren't worth your time. But I want to tell you about the things that are worth your time. And another show that's worth your time that I would call a binge watcher's dream is the new show on Netflix, Bodyguard. Now, this show is not a Netflix original. It it was made by BBC, and it's only streaming on Netflix, though, so it's kind of a Netflix original in that way. But this was a BBC show. And this show, when it aired in Britain earlier this year, it set all kinds of ratings records. It was like the highest-rated TV British TV series ever. And that, to me, just shows you what you need to know about Britain. And in maybe thinking that culturally they're a little bit superior to us because that a show like this, that like a tense, well-done drama would be the highest rated, you know, must-watch appointment viewing show in Britain to me is very impressive because our top-rated shows, you know, every year are like The Amazing Race and The Voice and whatever, you know, new competition show is out and, you know, the fucking Super Bowl or whatever, like that's it. It's not some show like this. So I was impressed by that, of course, at first, and that intrigued me to check out Bodyguard when it came onto Netflix just a few weeks ago. It's brand new on Netflix. And like I said, I think it's a binge watcher's dream. It's one season, six episodes, as all those British shows always are. They're so brisk. They don't waste any time. There's no fat to trim whatsoever. And it tells a whole story in six episodes. This doesn't really leave an ending that's open for, I think, more episodes. I'm pretty sure this is going to be just a close-ended one-season thing, and that's a beautiful thing as well because it can almost be you know, better than a movie. I've said it many times. Miniseries is the perfect length to tell a story from start to finish without leaving anything out, without us really wanting more or needing more, just telling it all and um, you know, doing it well. So the production values are good on this show. I'll tell you what it's about. It's a thriller. It's like a uh, political crime thriller, all right, with some romance stuff as well. It's like a sexy crime thriller that is about this guy who is a, a, a a British military veteran who's a police officer now in Britain who gets the the assignment to be bodyguard for this high-powered member of parliament. And this high-powered member of parliament, she is this, like, tough-as-nails woman who is, over here would be, like, a far-right-wing conservative based on the things that she has voted for. And so he's got to protect this woman. But he finds out that looking into her voting record, one of the things that she supported, you know, staunchly was the war in uh, the Middle East that he went to, that he saw buddies killed by, and that affected him, you know, dramatically, mentally. He's got, you know, some serious PTSD issues because of the war. And so she's one of the people that could be blamed for him having to go over there, his buddies having to die, all that stuff. So, But he's got to put his life on the line to protect this woman who he could not disagree with more. So it's very tense. And then throw on into that that there, there starts to be a um, – connection between the two of them sexually and then it you know kind of turns emotional there's this physical like you know chemistry between them that's great and they're both good looking people and it just really works they're both smart people um and they're both people who are good at their jobs obviously so 
it's it's just an intense show, and you wonder what's going to happen. And the show keeps you guessing. I mean, I really did watching this show. I really did wonder: is the guy is he a bad guy? Is he like a villain? Is everyone a villain in this show? Like, is there any hero to root for? Is he going to? do something that endangers her life? Is he going to do something that kills her? Is he going to directly kill her? What's going to happen? Is, is he going to save her life when it comes down to it? I don't know. So it's a it's an intriguing show. Definitely keeps you guessing. It's a tight thriller. Like I said, six episodes that tells an entire story. And the acting was really strong in this show. Uh, Richard Madden is he plays the guy. He's the bodyguard. Richard Madden, you'd know best from Game of Thrones. He was Rob Stark for a couple seasons. It's hard to remember, you know, a character. He was such a big character for the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones, and then, like others, he just all of a sudden wasn't anymore because he was brutally murdered. Um, but, you know, he does a good job in this show, and it's, it's a, a good kind of part for him. Obviously, he's got the great looks. He looks the part, but uh, it's kind of a stoic, intense uh, part that does call on him to show some emotion at times, and he does a nice job with it. The woman, meanwhile, the politician, is played by Keely Hawes, and she is most famous for doing the voice of Laura Croft in the first few Tomb Raider games back in the day. So I thought that was kind of cool. But she does a great job. I really liked her in this show um, a lot. I was really drawn to her. I thought she was, like, magnetic, even though, you know, I wouldn't agree with anything this woman was saying or supporting. But you can see why people would vote for her, why people would connect with her, because she's just got this magnetism to her, and she's got this charisma that great politicians always have. Even I mean, shitty politicians even have it. It's just that's kind of what that that's one of the defining characteristics of having that job. So it's it's like a really dark and um, you know kind of just twisty, intriguing, sexy show. Really great for binge watching. Definitely recommend you give Bodyguard a watch if you like these kind of shows, if you like these tense thrillers. Um, and if you like British crime shows, it definitely fits the mold of some of those other shows that I've talked about, like The Fall. You know, it kind of is like it looks like Prime Suspect or Luther. It's It's got that kind of same very quiet, subdued, not in your face kind of thing going on. But there are some very intense sequences of action in this as well, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. So. Like I said, it's a binge watcher's dream. I really enjoyed it. It's one of my favorite things I've watched on Netflix recently, and it's definitely worth your time. Six episodes. Give it a watch. You'll be thrilled, and I think you'll really dig it. It's called Bodyguard, and it's on Netflix now. It's okay, Mom. It's okay. The bullets can't get through the armor plating. It's okay. It's okay. Control 79 Sierra Zulu with the sit -up. We need arm support and interrupts to the scene as operational priority. TSC's deployed to the scene. Area being cordoned off and unarmed held back. ARV's en route. ETA, two minutes. Control 79 received. Two minutes, Mum. You sit tight, you're going to be fine. You're doing really well, Mum. You're doing great. It's okay. It's okay, Mum. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay, it's okay. So right. Okay. All right, I'm going to hit pause for a second. Toss things over to Andy, who's uh, giving you his thoughts from now. He's moved up from the basement to the main floor of his home in beautiful Dayton, Ohio. And when we come back, I'm going to give you my Christmas list, my Christmas list of entertainment for 2018. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But for now, take it away, Mr. Sedlak. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yes. Thank you, Clint. I'm back in the saddle. Thanks for listening. Quick update here on the uh, the new room, the new home studio that I told you about last month. I've got I've got some more things on the walls, uh, so hopefully uh, some of this stuff will will start to absorb uh, a little bit uh, of my voice and won't quite be bouncing around so much. So I still got a little bit of work to do. So you still you're still going to hear a little bit of echo. But uh, but uh, we're we're further along than we were. Uh, that much is is certainly true. My name is Andy Sedlak. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening. Uh, this is the Stream Police Podcast. However, you're listening to us. Please take two minutes uh, to give us a positive review uh, on whatever platform you may be using uh, at the time right now. Uh, it goes a long way in building an audience for us and helping us uh, sort of uh, cultivate a listener base. Uh, only if we deserve it, though. I've told you before, I don't want any charity. So <clears throat> I have been thinking lately, uh, dangerous, I know, but I've been thinking about songs that are misunderstood uh, songs that are misunderstood and how a misunderstanding can totally alter the course of the song's popularity or path as opposed to if it had been understood. Misunderstanding a song can have a commercial impact. It can affect things positively or negatively. Uh, but on the positive end, let's think about... Uh, John Mellencamp's Pink Houses. Little Pink Houses for you and me. He's being incredibly sarcastic. Incredibly sarcastic. And something tells me that if people realized he was being sarcastic, then it wouldn't have been as big a hit. And sometimes the opposite can happen. Misunderstanding can sink a song like a rock. The other day, I was in the car, and uh, Rihanna's Shut Up and Drive came on the radio. 
And I forgot how much I like the song. It wasn't one of her bigger hits. It always it's kind of struck me as, as funny. Not one of her biggest hits. And that's shocking. Because with all the attitude, it, it sure sounded like a hit to me. I started reading up on this. It's what I do when my curiosity is piqued. Shut Up and Drive was the single released after Umbrella in 2007. By all means, this should have conquered the world. should have been a huge hit. Now, here's what critics said at the time. Here's what critics said. The lyrics are pure fluff. That, by the way, was from About.com, which generates millions of page views every year. Pop Matters said Shut Up and Drive is a sassier version of Aretha Franklin's Freeway of Love or Michael Jackson's Speed Demon. Speed Demon by Michael Jackson. It's almost as if these people thought that the song was literally about a car. It is not. It's about sex. What does Rihanna sing about? She sings about sex. The name of the album, for Christ's sake, is Good Girl Gone Bad. This is a metaphor. She's basically saying, let's do this thing. This is not about a car. Critics can go off on all kinds of wacky ideas. When Bob Dylan released Love and Theft in 2001, the Wall Street Journal wrote that he took inspiration from the 1991 book Confessions of a Yakuza. A Yakuza. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it is a Japanese gangster. The writer claimed that Dylan took lines from this uh, obscure book and repurposed them for his songs. Here's an example. There's a line in the book that says, Do you think I could call myself a Yakuza if I couldn't stand up to some old businessman? Then there's a line in the song Summer Days, which appears on the Love and Theft album in which Bob Dylan sings, What good are you anyway if you can't stand up to some old businessman? Okay. Meanwhile, Bob Dylan said this at the time. Some of these uh, um, lyrics are written like within a stream of a stream of consciousness kind of thing. You know, I mean, it's like a, uh, I don't sit there and dwell on or, on, or meditate on, on each, each line. Let's listen to that again. Uh, I don't sit there and dwell on or, on, or meditate on, on each, each line. Look, I, I kind of know how this goes. I certainly don't profess myself to be anywhere near the songwriter that Bob Dylan is. I mean, come on. But I do know that when I've written in the past, I just like the way some words fall together. I like the way they sound together. Or I like the image that it conjures up. Because it, it puts me, and hopefully somebody else, in a certain mindset. 
It's not meant to be taken literally. But as a writer, you know it works. And some people don't necessarily understand that. They hear songs the way they want to hear them. And sometimes they neuter the original intent of the song. Take Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Most people, most people heard that is a song about simple nostalgia. After all, 1969 was an eventful year. That was the year Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. It was the era of Joe Namath. Uh, sneaking into movie theaters to see Midnight Cowboy, but perhaps more than anything else, it was the year of Woodstock. Yes, in the musical context, that may be the most significant event of 1969. 1969 was the year of Woodstock, and the song starts with talking about a band, forming a band, all that stuff. nostalgia all right but not pop culture nostalgia in 1969 brian adams was just nine years old in 2009 he said it's about looking back on the summertime and making love (laughs) for me the 69 was a metaphor for making love it was not about the year The bottom line is that people hear music the way they want to hear it. Artists know this, but sometimes that's no consolation. People mistook uh, Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA to be a patriotic anthem. That's my phone, not yours. Uh, go America, that type of thing. Like, like, God bless the USA. Except that's not what Born in the USA is about. It's about how we treated our native sons when they came back from the Vietnam War. In 1998, Springsteen wrote, For years at Halloween, I had little kids in red bandanas knocking at my door, singing I was born in the USA. I guess the same fate awaited Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land around the campfire, but that didn't make me feel any better. I'll never forget my senior year of high school in the spring. We were right, we were almost to graduation. And literally everybody played this song. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. So make the best of this test and don't ask why. It's not a question but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. Once again, not about nostalgia. 
The song is called Good Riddance for a reason. Green Day wrote it, recorded it, after a girl moved away from its lead singer to take on a new life in Europe. He was pissed but tried to contain his anger in hopes of getting a raw emotional recording. He did, uh, but people didn't get it. So take the photographs and still frames in your mind Hanging on a shelf in good health and good time Tattoos and memories and asking on trial For what it's worth, it was worth all the while It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right I hope you had the time of your life Once again, sarcasm. I hope you had the time of your life is not a sincere gesture, but a sarcastic one. This boils down to a central question. Again, writing in 1998, Springsteen asked, Is the way you choose to present your music its politics? Is the way you choose to present your music its politics? Does the sound and form of your song create its own context? Obviously, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. History shows us that again and again. Once again, About Born in the USA, he writes, If I tried to undercut or change the music, I believe I would have had a record that may have been more easily understood, but not as good. You don't have this kind of misunderstanding in other mediums. People aren't really split on films. There aren't a whole lot of people that watch uh, a, a brutal film and then say, oh, I thought that was a happy movie. You don't have it with paintings or with theater, but take the visuals away and musicians can, can kind of leave themselves vulnerable to misunderstanding. What songs are on the top of your list for being misunderstood? Is there anything where you think to yourself, God, people, it's about this. It's not about that. It's about this. Shoot me an email and tell me about it. Sedlakjournal at gmail.com. S-E-D-L-A-K. And the word journal all squished together at gmail.com. All right. Let's see what's in the news. It looks like uh, Meek Mill released a new song. Jay-Z's featured. So is Rick Ross. It's called What's Free. Take a listen. What's free? Free is when nobody else can tell us what to be. Free is when the TV ain't controlling what we see. Told my niggas I need you. Through all the fame, you know I stay true. Pray my niggas stay free. Made a few mistakes, but this ain't where I want to be. Before I'm judged by 12, put a 12 on my feet. Told my niggas I need you. Stay up, I know these times ain't true. Real life, what's free? Meeks' verses are outstanding. Same for Jay-Z's. And, and Jay doesn't always show up on features, but but he does here. Route better, of course. We started without food in our mouth. They gave us pork and pig intestines. Shit you discarded that we ingested. We made the project a wave. You came back, reinvested, and gentrified it. Took niggas sense of pride. Now how that's free? And them people stole the soul and hit niggas with 360s. I ain't got a billion streams, got a billion dollars. Inflating numbers like we pull, be happy about this. We was praising Billboard, but we were young. Now I look at Billboard like, is you dumb? <laughs> to this day, Grandma afraid what I might say. They're going to have to kill me, Grandmama. I'm not their slave. The reason that I love this 
is because it pays tribute to What's Beef. It's my favorite Biggie Smalls song. So let's listen to them back to back. Again, this is What's Free. Drizzy like what's free? Free is when nobody else can tell us what to be. Free is when the TV ain't controlling what we see. Told my niggas I need you. Through all the fame, you know I stay true. Pray my niggas stay free. Made a few mistakes, but this ain't where I want to be. Before I'm judged by 12, put a 12 on my feet. Told my niggas I need you. Stay up, I know these times ain't true. Real life, what's free? And here's what's beef. Check this, what's beef? Beef is when you need two cats to go to sleep. Beef is when your moms ain't safe up in the streets. Beef is when I see you. Guaranteed to be in ICU. One more time, what's beef? Beef is when you make your enemies start your jeep. Beef is when you roll no less than 30 deep. Beef is when I see you. Guaranteed to be in ICU. Long overlooked in his catalog, What's Beef was released on Biggie's 1997 album, Life After Death. Came out literally two weeks after Biggie was shot and killed at the age of 21 in L.A. What's Beef was uh, not released as a single. It is an album track. It would have been uh, of the moment had Biggie lived, as beefs were in the news every day at that time. But since he died, the song kind of hits eerily close to home. Purely from a craftsman standpoint, Big's verses are as nimble as anything he ever put out. I could listen to him rap over that beat all day. Best of them, shot at the rest of them, was about a hundred or more. Maybe less of them, got my rocks off. That nigga from the brook just be wildin' on you, just be stylin' on you, and I tried to warn you, but your eyes fucked up. Now I cleared them shits with hits, you on the fucking bench. Pardon my friends, but sometimes I get kinda peeved at these weak MCs with these supreme ball of life. Lyrics, I call them like I see a G. Y'all niggas sound like me. Y'all was grimy in the early 90s. Far behind me. It ain't hard to find me. Number one with the booyaka. Give me the Remy and the Chronic. Ain't no telling what I do to y'all. It's obvious the game's new to y'all. The beat, by the way, is from a combination of sources. First is Al Green's I'm Glad You're Mine. That was released on the seminal Let's Stay Together LP. second sample that makes up uh, what's free and what's beef and probably uh, more noticeably is from a jazz musician his name is Richard Evans the song uh, is called Close to You here it is
put them together, and you've got what's beef and what's free, and that's how they're made. What's free? Free is when nobody else can tell us what to be. Free is when the TV ain't controlling what we see. All right, friends, you know we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. That dog. I'm telling you. If anybody ever asks you uh, to get a Jack Russell, just remember this. All right, I think we're safe. (laughs) Uh, What are we talking about? The uh, Stream Police playlist. Up for your listening pleasure on Spotify. Just search Stream Police every month. We add five more songs to make it even more perfect. Here are this month's five. First, from 1975, uh, the record Toys in the Attic. It's Big Ten Inch Record by Aerosmith. We were talking uh, earlier about songs that were misunderstood. Well, nobody nobody thought that song was uh, actually about uh, vinyl. People were in on that joke. Um, and they performed that song on SNL in 2001, roughly 25 years after it was released. That clip is on YouTube. Look it up if you haven't already. Uh, second, this is a poignant song I was turned on to recently. It's called Gone Fishing. It's by Chris Ray. I'm gone fishing. Sounds crazy, I know I know nothing about fishing But just watch me go And when my time has come I will look back and see Next, from Mary Gauthier, it's Walking Each Other Home. I heard you found someone 
soldiers walking each other home. Sometimes I think if if I could write a song like that, I'd be happy forever. Like each day after, I I I would just be satisfied. I know that's not realistic, but uh, <laughs> it's one of the thoughts I have when I hear that song. Uh, okay, what are we up to? Four. Uh, your fourth uh, selection this week is called Modern Love, not by David Bowie, but by Peter Gabriel. Finally, it's Love's Gonna Get You by KRS-One. That's it. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you in about a month. I'm going to toss it back to Clint. Behave yourselves. See ya. Thank you very much, Andy. I hope the holiday season is treating you well, my friend. I hope to see you soon. I hope we can get some drinks and uh, talk about some of these things that we love to talk about on this show in person. And I hope you have a great Christmas, most uh, importantly, or Hanukkah, or whatever the hell it is you celebrate. I don't care. Um, I'm just glad to be talking to you here on the Stream Police Podcast. Please spread the word about the show to uh, other people who like this kind of thing, who like entertainment, who really don't aren't interested in you know long-winded interviews or chuckleheads sitting around and acting like their opinions are the most important things in the world i don't think andy and i do that i think we bring you a nice down-to-earth uh show here full of information full of great things you should check out and and well-researched opinions on i mean both of us are journalists andy and i come from that background so we don't just come on here and talk out of our ass even though i know that may be more entertaining sometimes it's not really what we do it's not 
either of our styles. So we like to put a lot of thought into what we're going to tell you here on the show. All right, I'm Clint Davis once again, talking about movies and TV here with you in my closet in Columbus, Ohio. And I want to give you my Christmas list for 2018. Here's what I'm writing Santa Claus and telling him that I want. The Santa Claus of entertainment and telling him I want for the new year for 2019. All right, in my Christmas list, I got five things, and I'm going to give them to you right now. Number one on the list, top of the list for you, Santa Claus, no more reboots, all right? I'm so tired of seeing titles that I've already seen before being listed as new shows and movies. I know this is an opinion that's been hammered on from everyone who's involved in entertainment for the last, you know, like 10 years that's been running rampant, but I'm so sick and tired of seeing every show coming back, same cast, uh, you know, basically the same storylines, but everyone just looks older, everyone's more tired, uh, including the writers and including the jokes. And it's just not, it's never going to be as good. The only reason you should ever do something like a reboot is if you are going to make it better than the original version of the show. And that has yet to happen with any reboot. Netflix loves doing this. They love buying up shows that other networks canned. They love bringing back shows from, you know, eons ago that they think people want to see new episodes of. And, of course, the diehard fans do want to see new episodes. They always dream of that. But it's just always better left in your imagination than really happening. And in some ways, you know, this is I'm going to be hated for saying this, but it makes me almost kind of glad that James Gandolfini died because you know that HBO would probably be clamoring to bring back The Sopranos. I know they're going to be doing some kind of prequel movie or something like that. Um but they would be dying to bring back The Sopranos with the original cast and have everybody back again and the, the gang's back at it. And it would, you know, it would just be awful. I mean, it's not that it would have to be the worst thing ever, but it just wouldn't be as good as the original. And why would you do it if it's not going to be as good or better than the original? I get the idea that we want to see familiar actors and characters and settings again, but these just always end up hurting the legacy of the original shows and movies. So reboots, I'm done with them, man. You know reboot culture has gone too far when Disney decides to remake every single one of its animated movies and then decides that Mary Poppins needs a sequel. The movie came out in 1964. Do you know how old that movie is? 1964, the film came out. The only market that should be nostalgic for a Mary Poppins sequel are people who are in their 60s, and I'm pretty sure that they are not the people that this film's being advertised for. So... I just don't get it. So no more reboots and no more sequels 40 years after the movie came out. I don't want to see it anymore. Right? I'm done. Give me some new ideas. That's number one Santa Claus on my Christmas list. No more reboots. And we're going to have the hap, hap, happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny fucking K. Number two, no Oscars host. So as you can see, my Christmas list is kind of like I, they're, they're things that I don't want. They're not things that I do want. Uh, the other, All the other things on my list are things I do want, but the first two, things I do not want. So no Oscars host, please. The Academy Awards do not need to have a host. The show is already longer than shit, and it's the easiest way to trim the fat from that very fatty show would be to eliminate the host and get rid of the opening monologue. Nobody likes or cares about the opening monologue at all. Ever since Billy Crystal in the 90s used to sing that cheesy medley describing all the movies, that's the last time anybody gave a shit about the opening monologue. And the Oscars even tried to reboot that by bringing Billy Crystal back as host a few years ago, and he sang and danced again, and nobody liked it that time. So 
just get rid of the hosts. They Kevin Hart was named host, and then he was not the host anymore. Like two days later, because of you know things that he has said on Twitter, for, you know for good reason, they got rid of him. And uh, just nobody cares. Nobody wants that job. Sucks. It's un- there's no nothing good can come from hosting the Oscars. It's not like the Golden Globes where the room is warm and people want to laugh. No one wants to laugh at the Oscars. It's very serious shit. So and movie fans don't even really want to laugh at the Oscars either. It's a serious night to celebrate. Uh, this, you know, they don't college football doesn't hire like a comic to host the Heisman Trophy ceremony to go out there and make everybody laugh before they give out the most prestigious award that they give out in the calendar year. It's it's not the place for it. If you want to have a, a serious look at the movies that the people that are up for them, that's fine. But I don't think you need to just get rid of the host. No host this year. Just have no host. Just bring out just have the announcer say who's going to be presenting the awards. Bring them out. Let them say something present the award, and then have the next group of presenters come out. That's all you have to do. There's no need for a host. We don't need it. That's my other thing on my list. Santa Claus, no Oscars host, please. And when Santa squeezes his fat white ass down that chimney night, he's going to find the jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nuthouse. Number three on my Christmas list for Christmas 2018, I want new episodes of Mindhunter. Please, Mindhunter from Netflix. It's been more than a year Already since the first season of Mindhunter came out on Netflix, and I'm more than ready for a new batch of episodes, please put them in my stocking, Santa. And by Santa, I'm talking to you, uh, David Fincher and producer Charlize Theron, because you're the ones who are making this happen. That Mindhunter is probably my favorite Netflix show that they've ever done, and I want new episodes of it. I love that first season. I wish they could have had new episodes this year, and I wish there would be a third season coming out next year, but... Such is the process. I guess they want to get it right. But that's what I'm asking for this year. New episodes of Mindhunter in my stocking. Christmas is almost here. Nervous or excited? Shitting bricks. Shouldn't use that word. Sorry. Shitting rocks. Number four on my Christmas list. A return to form for Game of Thrones. The show will air its final, heavily abbreviated season in 2019, and I hope it ends on a high note. Santa Claus, I'm asking you. The last couple seasons of Game of Thrones have been pretty awful compared to the early ones. I've covered them a lot on this show. They've opted more for blockbuster CGI action sequences, high adventure stories, you know, that kind of crap, rather than the grim backstabbing and political intrigue that made the early seasons so thrilling and so different. Hopefully the character deaths will come early and often in the new episodes because that was a hallmark of the early seasons. And hopefully this new season won't be all about the White Walkers who have come to dominate the overall storyline of the show, turning Game of Thrones into like the Walking Dead set in Westeros. But I don't I think that I think the last season is going to be all White Walkers, so I'm not holding out too much hope. But Santa, I know you can make miracles happen. I'm asking you please. This year for Christmas, a return to form for Game of Thrones. Let it go out on a high note, please. And finally, number five on my Christmas list for 2018. Santa, I'm asking you for this. Trophies for horror. Two of the best horror projects I've ever seen came out in 2018, and I want them to win some gold. The movie Hereditary and the TV show The Haunting of Hill House. Hereditary makes a strong case for Best Actress nod for Tony Collette, and it makes a pretty good case for the Best Picture nod as well. I think it's a very good movie. It's very uh, stirring. It's just it brings out it's 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 got a lot of character meat and depth, 
and it's a big it's one that when you rewatch it you see more stuff it's just a very well written well executed movie it's horror kind of at the highest level that horror can be and also the haunting of hill house from netflix should certainly be up for best drama series at the emmys and i think it makes a case to win it it might be the most tight narrative that netflix has ever produced as an original series and it's it's well written it's got great characters it's got a story that makes sense pays off huge even though you're thinking there's no way they can pay this off with all the setup and it was so scary and such a good family drama it's the best family drama i've seen on tv um you know this is us has its ups and downs i would say that this is the most consistently great family drama i've seen it's only one season but probably since 6 feet under it reminds me a lot of 6 feet under just with more horror in it uh, rather than some of kind of like the black humor that Six Feet Under was so good at. So that's my Christmas list. I want no more reboots. I want no Oscars host this year. I want new episodes of Mindhunter. I want a return to form for Game of Thrones. And I want trophies for horror. And I'm talking about Hereditary and The Haunting of Hill House. I want both of those projects to win trophies and be nominated for the biggest awards they can be up for because they're great. That's all I'm asking for, Santa. That's it. Hallelujah! Holy shit! What's on your entertainment Christmas wish list? I'll read it uh, in the next episode if you send it to me. What are you hoping for in the next year in entertainment? What do you want Santa Claus to bring you this year from your favorite TV shows and movies? Uh, send them to me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. T-H-E clintdavis at gmail.com. Speaking of Christmas, I told you earlier in the show that I finally this year got around to watching some of the all-time classic Christmas movies that I had you know, neglected to see. I've seen, like, all of the recent classics, like all the, I should say, the color classics. I've seen pretty much all of them, but I hadn't seen, like, any of the black and white Christmas movies. And I watched three of them this year and really enjoyed all three of them, but there there was one that I loved most of all. First off, It's a Wonderful Life. Let me tell you, I had never watched It's a Wonderful Life. I had talked about it on the show that that's probably the most classic movie that I had never seen before, most beloved movie that I had never watched. E.T. now probably replaces that. I've still never seen E.T. Um, so maybe I'll get to that one one of these days as well. But I was like, I'm finally going to watch It's a Wonderful Life. I just, It wasn't like a family tradition in our house. We never watched it on TV. Um And I just never got around to seeing it, even though I love Jimmy Stewart. And I believe he is undefeated in Hollywood. I think he had the best career of any actor in the history of Hollywood. Every genre, he worked with all the great directors. He had great performances in all genres, all types, funny, dramatic, uh, gritty. He did them all. He did the westerns. He did the legal thrillers. He did, uh, you know... um, He did, like, psychological thrillers. He did comedies. He did heartwarming romance. Everything. Jimmy Stewart is undefeated. Best career in Hollywood history, in my opinion. And It's a Wonderful Life is one of those crown jewels in his career. This movie was warm as a down blanket. I got to tell you, my friend, it was so sentimental, but feel good. Captured all of that holiday season, you know, uh, intangible stuff that's great about this time of year, the generosity. Uh, His character, George Bailey, in the movie really sums up all those great, the things that are great about the holiday season and none of the bullshit about the holiday season. And, you know, it gets real at times because he just, he gets kind of consumed by the everyday grind of life. And even this most positive, most generous person he gets ground down, grinded down. I don't, I don't remember which one is correct. 
by all the bastards around him in life, and it just you know gets to be too much. The almighty dollar finally grinds him down to a nub until he sees humanity for how great it is once again. So I really enjoyed It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I think the beginning was really... I didn't like the beginning at all. I always say this about the movie Moulin Rouge. Like, if you if you cut out the first, like, 15, 20 minutes of Moulin Rouge, I think you've got a really good movie, a really, you know, gripping, really cool, unique movie. But the first 15, 20 minutes are so jarring and just not... I just don't enjoy them at all. I don't like anything they're doing at the beginning of that movie. It's a Wonderful Life was the same way. The first, like, 15 minutes, I really was like, oh, God, am I going to like this at all? The weird, like, stars talking to each other. And it's supposed to be up in heaven and the angel. I just didn't, I did not like that at all. But as soon as it got going and we got into George's life and it got, you know, cranking, great movie, loved it. It's a wonderful life. Uh, I, I definitely recommend it. If you've been sitting around kind of waiting to watch that movie because you think maybe it's old-fashioned cheesy, it is old-fashioned and cheesy, but sometimes that's what we need, man, especially in the holiday season. It's a, it's a beautiful film. Jimmy Stewart does some great work, as always, because he's undefeated. That's right. That's right. Miracle on 34th Street. I finally watched Miracle on 34th Street. Had never seen it. Another movie that is sweet, extremely sentimental, and very well acted. I was surprised at how well acted this movie was. And actually, I really enjoyed the script a lot. I think it's a it's kind of a, a cool story. If you haven't seen Miracle on 34th Street, it's the movie where uh, there's a Macy's Santa Claus who uh, is actually the real Santa, and there's he ends up being put on trial. He ends up getting sent to the nut house because people think he's insane because he thinks he's really Santa. He gets put on trial. Is Santa real? And, you know, the whole everyone sends the letters. All the kids send the letters into Santa, and through some, I don't know if it would really, you know, pass muster in an actual courtroom, they end up saying that Santa Claus is real. So, But anyway, the movie is so sentimental. It loves Christmas so much that you just can't help but smile when watching this. And like I said, great acting from top to bottom in Miracle on 34th Street. Natalie Wood, who was like eight years old when she made this movie, so adorable, such a little smartass, so cute. She does a great job, one of the uh, the great child performances I've seen. Edmund Gwen won an Oscar for playing Santa. I mean, what more can you ask for than that? So it's, it's really... Uh, um, Miracle on 34th Street lived up to the hype for me. I didn't like it as much as It's a Wonderful Life, but, you know, it's one of those where I give it a solid 7 out of 10. Definitely worth your time, worth a watch. I don't know that I'd watch it every year. I don't know if I'd watch it again, but I did like it. It was it was cool, and uh, it was a really well-written, well-acted, especially well-acted movie, and it told, you know, an interesting story that I hadn't seen done before. It's an interesting story uh, in the Christmas vein. Finally, though, the, the Christmas movie that I watched, the, the black and white classic Christmas movie that I watched that I had never seen before this year and that I absolutely loved actually predates It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street. It's The Shop Around the Corner. This was an instant favorite for me. It came out in 1940. And once again, it stars the great Jimmy Stewart alongside the great Margaret Sullivan, the fiery Margaret Sullivan. And this was the movie that inspired You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. If you've never seen You've Got Mail, that's one of Beth's favorites. We've watched that one a couple of times. I actually, I actually like that one a little bit. 
But this was the movie. It's basically the same movie. Like, You've Got Mail was the same movie as this. The idea behind that one was there were these two people who couldn't stand each other in in real life. They knew each other, couldn't stand each other, didn't agree on anything. But they were corresponding with each other anonymously through email, and they were falling in love with each other via email, but they didn't know who the other person was. Shop Around the Corner is the same idea, but it's with letters, of course, because it's 1940. So these two people work together at this shop in Hungary. It's set in Hungary. Strange. They all speak English, though, but, you know, it's set in Hungary. And it's at Christmas time. These two work together at a shop, Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan. Can't stand each other, constantly butting heads. But they both write letters anonymously to one another, and, uh, you know, it's just it's kind of cool to see them realize when, you know, they figure out who they're talking to and see how they take it from there. So uh, The Shop Around the Corner, couldn't recommend it more. It's It doesn't hammer you over the head with it being a Christmas movie, but it's definitely set at Christmas. It's got all the decorations. It's got all the holiday shopping stuff is thrown in there. And it's just a sweet, very good, fast-paced Funny romantic comedy. If you like romantic comedies, give the shop around the corner a watch. It will it will not bore you. I know you you probably you know think sometimes that black and white movies, movies from the nineteen forties, they're going to be cheesy. They're going to be sentimental. They're going to be you know not nearly. They, how could they be nearly as funny or well written or as witty as movies that come out today? I got to tell you, they are a lot of times, and they're a lot of times they're more funny, more witty. Better made than the movies today, and The Shop Around the Corner is one of them. It's one of the best romantic comedies I've ever seen. I loved it from start to finish. The acting's great. The dialogue crackles, and the movie zooms along toward its fantastic conclusion. And it's a great Christmas movie. I'm adding it to my list to my favorite Christmas movies I have ever seen. The Shop Around the Corner from 1940 with Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan. So there you go. Three Christmas classics I finally watched this year. They aren't as good as The Muppet Christmas Carol, but what is? I've told you before. It's the best Christmas movie ever made. I'll I'll take that to my grave. Muppet Christmas Carol, as good as it gets. If you haven't watched that yet, throw it on this year and thank me later. Finally here, before I send you packing out the door on this Christmas edition of the Stream Police Podcast, a couple movies now streaming on Netflix and Amazon, and I'm not going to give you anything Christmas-related here since I don't know when you listen to this show. But I give you something funny, I give you something serious streaming on both of them. Let's start on Netflix. Something funny, one of my absolute favorites. I know it's the most bro movie ever. It somehow became that, but I don't care about that reputation. This this movie is a true five-star classic. The Big Lebowski from 1998, one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Constant funny dialogue some of the most memorable characters I've ever seen, and a great little mystery detective noir kind of thing from the Coen brothers that's thrown in there as well. Jeff Bridges, one of the best actors of our time, playing arguably the most signature character in his arsenal, Jeff Lebowski, the dude. And I think John Goodman does the best work of his entire career as the insane Vietnam vet Walter Sobchak as well. And don't sleep on Steve Buscemi either. Big Lebowski's great. You can't beat it. It's got lots of smart, uh, highbrow kind of like political political jokes for about the 90s, about the Gulf War and stuff like that that are thrown into the mix. There's so much subtext going on in this movie. It's just all good. you got to love The Big Lebowski. It's a, a an onion with many layers, and I never get tired of watching it. It's on Netflix now. 
Something serious on Netflix. Coming to Netflix on December 16th. Very serious business here, folks. Springsteen on Broadway. All the people who paid $10,000 for tickets to go see it are pissed off because Netflix bought rights to air Springsteen on Broadway in your living room for all of us poor saps who got on the list but couldn't get tickets. Andy and I both are part of that uh, that camp. You can watch Springsteen on Broadway December 16th on Netflix. It'll be on there forever, and that's about as serious as it gets, man. The show covers the entire career of Bruce in his own words. He gives you some little monologues between the songs, tells some stories, plays acoustic versions of some of his greatest music, and how can you beat that? You just can't. It's one of the great song books that any artist has in American history, and if you never got into Springsteen, I think this could be a great launching point for you to watch this, especially on a nice cold winter night when you're bundled up, flipping on. I'm not sure how long this thing's going to end up being. I'm guessing a couple hours probably, but you will not regret it. If you never got into Bruce for whatever reason, give this a watch. I pretty much guarantee you'll become a fan by the time it's over, and I haven't even seen it yet. I just know it's going to be that good. So Springsteen on Broadway, December 16th on Netflix. Amazon Prime, something funny for you to watch there from 2000. It's Space Cowboys, one of the most underrated Clint Eastwood movies ever. The story is wacky. It's like grumpy old men set in space. You got these old NASA astronauts who are all retired, all way above the age that they should be going to space. But for what I can't remember what the plot contrivance is that get, makes it to where they have to be the guys that go. I can't remember what happens. I don't remember if the young guys get sick or they can't handle the mission. I can't remember. But they send these old retired astronauts into space, and it's like this fantastic cast of old dudes, Clint Eastwood, Tommy Lee Jones, James Garner, and Donald Sutherland um, are among the cast of these guys that are going to space. Marsha Gay Harden's in it as well. It's a really you know charming little movie. It didn't win any Oscars, and it's probably never going to be included on any AFI list. But I'll tell you, I think Space Cowboys is really funny. And as far as like the old guy genre of movies that, that became big in the late 90s, I'd put it right up there with the grumpy old men. Uh, movies with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. It may not be that good, but Space Cowboys is really cool. That one is on Amazon right now. Just an easy, fun watch for you. And something serious on Amazon. They added a bunch of really good ones recently, including like an entire collection of Jackie Chan movies, which those are some of my favorites ever, the Jackie Chan movies. I'm going to give you one from 1994, Legend of Drunken Master. First time I watched this movie, my jaw hit the floor because I had never seen stunts and martial arts done like this in my life, and it turned me into a martial arts movie fan. First time I ever watched this one. So The Legend of Drunken Master is on Amazon right now. There are a bunch of other great ones that were added to Amazon this month. Apocalypse Now, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Project A, Rumble in the Bronx, The Silence of the Lambs. bunch of great movies, but I'm going to give you The Legend of Drunken Master from 1994. If you're not into martial arts movies, give it a watch. I wasn't either. And then and now I own like almost all the Jackie Chan movies and the Bruce Lee movies because I watched The Legend of Drunken Master because I thought it was incredible. Kick ass. Does his own stunts. Can't beat Jackie. Jackie's the man. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with me and Andy as well. We always are, are glad to bring you this show. You can email me anytime at theclintdavis at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Clint Davis. Love to hear from you either way. And Mr. Sedlak, you can email him at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. We'll talk to you guys in a month. Thank you very much for spending some time with us. Please spread the word. Until then, stream on, my friend. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.